This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown, Mass Live's Red Sox show. Chris Cotillo here alongside Sean McAdam uh, as we get into the second week of the Red Sox offseason playoff baseball underway. The Red Sox making some news uh, yesterday as they fired pitching coach Dave Bush, third base coach Carlos Fables. We will get to that on a later episode, but today is report card day at the Fenway Rundown. I did these kind of episodes with Chris Smith a year ago. We'll do them with Sean today. Basically grading everybody on the Red Sox, uh, every player on, and, you know, the manager and the former chief baseball officer, actually, on the years that they had. Uh, Sean wrote his grades for a report card from his notebook that went up Friday morning. Uh, I took the assignment over the weekend of assigning my own grades, and you will hear them in this form uh, where we will debate a little bit on certain guys. I know Sean's grades because he blasted them out to the world three or four days ago. He doesn't know mine, but we are not going to waste much time. We're going to get into it. There's some guys we're going to agree on. There's some people that uh, we're going to disagree on. I think uh, you are underweight on some, overweight on others, as I did my assessment today. Um, But you can see all of Sean's reasonings in that notebook, which, again, has been on the site for a few days. Uh, We'll do it in this format. And uh, so I'll kind of play point, giving us the names. Uh, Sean will tell you – what he gave for a grade, I'll respond. There should be some back and forth, and that's why we're here today. So are you ready to lose a bunch of debates? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm glad it's an objective process we're going through here. Right. Well, if if I'm going to, you know, play point, play host, then uh, I can just cut just off. Just because you're a part-time it. college professor does not make your grades any more. Abrupt. Yeah, that's true. This is easier grading than, than what goes on in the, at the heights, but... Neither here nor there. All right. I will. Uh, let's go around the diamond. I'm not going to go in the order that you wrote them in because you wrote them from, which makes a lot of sense yeah, in a way ascending, of writing them. Spending order of grades. Yeah. We're going to start um, kind of position by position. I will start with the pitching staff, which, of course, I think generally uh, resulted in a failure, as we saw with Dave Bush's firing and all that type of stuff. Um, we will start with <laughs> the starting rotation and really the guys that made up. Most of that rotation for much of the year and a couple guys who bounce back and forth. We will start, Sean, with Brian Bayo, who uh, was uh, perhaps uh, at times the Red Sox best pitcher, fell apart in the second half. And I think your grade reflects that. Yeah, I gave him a C plus. um, And a lot of that was struggling at the end. He had two really poor starts to wrap up the season Um, that didn't help him. Um, 13 runs and 17 hits over his final nine innings that sent his ERA skyrocketing a little bit. It's perhaps not indicative of the kind of year he had. Uh, I was impressed with his ability to make adjustments within the game, and I still feel good about him going forward, but I could only give him a C plus. Yeah, I'm higher on him, uh, a B. And I think, you know, I just think the way that you look at how dominant he was for so long, taking that step. I know he ran out of gas. A lot of young pitchers do late in the year. He just showed, you know, a, a much higher ceiling than he did 
for most of you know last season in the majors as well. He looks like you know future you know number two type guy in the major leagues. I think you know when he has a better supporting cast around him, some of those veteran starters that you know we expect them to go get, he'll be even better. But just in terms of um, kind of the upside and the consistency and the the dominance for a long stretch there and staying healthy for the entire season, I'll give him a B. We'll move on. Right. Uh, Chris Sale. I think this is an interesting one because do you judge Chris Sale based on how much he's on the field when you're not expecting him to be there often? Or do you judge him uh, based on the ceiling? I mean, there's kind of a lot of different ways we can go with it. And uh, I was a little higher on him than you were. I went with a C plus. I think that uh, just because, as I've said many times on here, we saw the ceiling both in May and September of what he still can be. You know, the innings total, not uh, obviously <laughs> as high as I think the Red Sox would have hoped missing two months. Um, and if you take out the outings against the Orioles, he was pretty competitive most times out. Still, you know, his greatest piece of value is the availability. That has not been there. I'll go with a C plus for Chris Sale. Yeah, I went a little lower, as you noted. I gave him a C minus when he was out there, particularly after he kind of got going both times, both the, the, the delayed start to his season and then following the two-month absence because of his shoulder woes, uh, you could still the, see that there's still a valuable major league starter in there. But as you noted, I think some of it is availability and dependability, which Sale, uh, sadly for him and the team, has not provided much of. So I was a little harder, and I went C-. minus. Cutter Crawford, a guy that started the year in the major league rotation, was then demoted to the minors or was going to be in the bullpen. Then he was sent down to the minors. Then he came back as a reliever, then back in the rotation, a guy that I don't think I had particularly high expectations for entering the year, who at times was one of the Red Sox better pitchers in a lost season here. How would you rate Cutter Crawford's season? I gave him a C plus, And part of the issue that it wasn't higher because the numbers were decent where his inability to really get past or sometimes into the fifth inning, he, there were so many starts where he'd get through three shutout innings, have six or seven strikeouts, and look like he was cruising, and then he would invariably hit the wall in the fourth or fifth. Uh, to me, he's pitched enough in the big leagues that he should be able to get over that obstacle more. So I penalized him a little bit for not being able to go deeper in game C+. I went with a B for Cutter Crawford. I just think despite that, despite the innings total, if you look at the year he had, you know, 130 innings, 404, a lot of really good starts, pretty good out of the bullpen. Like if you had told me that was going to be his line heading into the season, I would have said that's a very, very successful year. Um, and I don't think he's a guy that is exciting like Bayo or like Whitlock when he came up in the, as a reliever, or even as exciting as Hauk, just kind of a guy that, you know, quietly does his job, doesn't say much and had a pretty good year, you know, out of nowhere. I think in a conversation with a top Red Sox official in April, he re referred to Crawford as one of the best pitchers they have. And I was like, that, that doesn't sound right. You know, this is a guy who had a good stretch last summer, but generally, you know, you know, not ever a top prospect and kind of a, um, a swingman type. And I think, you know, barring a surprise, he has a spot in the rotation moving forward. I agree with you. You know, the innings were an issue, um, but, you know, stayed healthy and was pretty successful. Um, future role to be determined. But to me, when you exceed expectations like that, I think a B is, is warranted there. A guy we agree on, then I'll just come out and reveal it to start. James Paxton. I gave him a C. You gave him a C. Great start to the year. Horrible end of the year. 
uh, that just even out in your mind? Yeah, just a, a, the classic tale of two seasons, five and one, two, seven, three before the break. And then all downhill from there, it was clear he hit the wall and the workload caught up to him. A guy who hadn't pitched much at all in the previous two and a half, almost three seasons, Tommy John and some other setbacks. Um, you know, in retrospect, maybe a guy the Red Sox should have aggressively shopped more at the deadline. But of course, no one knew what was coming in the second half. But a great first half and a pretty terrible second one gives averages out to a C. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say he would be started out first half. It was like an A or an A plus when he came back in mid May through June and July. He was uh, at a time where, you know, Bayo was pitching really well too. Paxton looked like an ace. He looked like, you know, the old version of himself hit the wall. Um, and, you know, with an injury issue coming there at the end, you have to wonder how much that bad second half hurt him heading into free agency. Um, he was a guy that uh, I think that we might have had a conversation. I don't know if on here or privately about the qualifying offer uh, at one point. I don't think that's going to be in play now. Um, but an interesting guy. A guy that I wrote at one point, could the Red Sox look to extend him? Uh, that would not have looked too good if they had made that decision. But I think uh, fair to give James Paxton a C. And as we talked about last episode, probably the end of his time with the Red Sox. A weird two years for sure. All right, we'll keep moving on. Uh, this, <laughs> I guess two guys we can loop in uh, together. We both gave him the same grades. Two guys that are really kind of linked, not just because of similar roles and kind of similar careers to this point, but... Also a very close friendship and Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck. Uh, D, 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 and D are the grades we gave them. Uh, to talk briefly about each, I think Houck, despite showing some flashes at the end of the season, just, you know, took a step back. He's a guy who had really, you know, not a lot of trouble in the major leagues before this year, had been really strong as a starter, had been electric as the closer uh, during the middle part of 2022. Whitlock, we all know about that rookie year. Last year out of the bullpen, elite again. Both of them dealing with health struggles. Whitlock three times on the IL. Tanner Houck, that big two-month absence after getting hit in the face. But the results are what the results are. ERAs in the five or both. Questions about their future still not solved. And I think a lost year for two guys the Red Sox were hoping uh, for a lot from. Yeah, I mean, two guys that they really didn't, um, they don't know much more about either uh, than they did back in March or April, other than perhaps to come to the conclusion finally after some back and forth and experimentation that maybe neither is best suited for the rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, you cannot, or the numbers at this point, they have both, both performed far better in relief. Uh, it was a challenging year for both. Uh, Hauk with a horrific facial injury on a comebacker that cost him a couple of months. And not only did Whitlock have a number of arm issues, but also some tragedy off the field that certainly impacted him in the final two months of the year. So uh, lost seasons for both. And you kind of start over with them next year. Right. And that is, you know, the uh, the tough part. I think expectations were pretty high for both of those guys. And, um, you know, now we'll see where they fit in. I think, you and I both think they should be uh, relievers, but, um, you know, they seem committed. They still want to get the most innings out of these guys at the end of the day. Move on to another guy who uh, will be similarly debated, I bet, uh, heading into spring training. If he's not traded, Nick Pavetta. Talk about a tale of two seasons, really, with him. Horrendous start out of the rotation and a really uh, just lights out stretch out of the bullpen in that crazy um, coming in after an opener role and one inning stints, he did kind of everything the Red Sox asked him in this kind of hybrid 
uh, more than hybrid, honestly. There's like four different iterations of it. Um, you know, hit a wall at a point in August, but I think, you know, uh, the way he turned things around after looking like really a DFA candidate early in the season was impressive. Um, and for that, you gave him a B minus. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, he really rallied and I think had a far better second half than we had anticipated when he got uh, shuffled off to the bullpen in May. We wondered whether he would be at all effective out there. He seemed to be pretty mentally down on the demotion, had fought it a little bit, a lot, um, and then pitched well in bulk relief and pitched well enough with the opportunity to come back into the rotation and was probably their best starting pitcher down the stretch. So uh, very much a part of the staff going forward, which, as you alluded to, may not have been the case as recently as May or June. I give him a B plus, not because the overall line on the season is amazing, um, but like, you know, I, I give these guys credit for ceiling. He was, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball for a very long stretch. That's not an over-exaggeration. So a B plus uh, for him. We'll close out kind of the, the rotation pieces uh, here with, I think, a guy that we don't really need to spend much time on. Opening day starter, Corey Kluber. Is this the easiest F of all time? Yeah, it is. Um, it was all downhill after that. He assumed that opening day role when Chris Sale was not ready. Um, didn't pitch particularly well then. Really maybe had two good starts in the first half. Injuries, it looked like he was going to come back in September and and you know be well enough to make a couple of appearances at the big league level. And then kind of overnight, they changed that and he went home. Kind of a strange ending to his season. Let's face it, it could be the end of his career too um if he's interested in continuing his career i would think it would have to be in a make good role on a minor league deal or a very small major league guarantee next year that's up to him to decide but it really was a very poor season here uh, that was not made any better by some physical challenges that cost him extended periods yeah an f and an f by the red sox for signing him and giving him the role that they did. Before we get into the guys you uh, rated in the bullpen, or graded in the bullpen, I should say, there are a few guys that you had mentioned as incompletes or guys that you did not get to. I wanted to add one little thing there. Joely Rodriguez and Richard Blyer had supposedly big roles on this team. Rodriguez barely pitched. Blyer was horrible. That goes down to me as, as two Fs that you didn't have on, on your grades. I know it's not a big deal, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I cut it to 40 innings minimum, and both mm -hmm. those guys were just under that, but I wouldn't argue that either of those two lefty relievers were big busts and probably would have graded out Fs both. But uh, I had to, other, you know, instead of grading 60 players or however many they used, I had to cut it somewhere. I made the cutoff date or the cutoff number to be 40 innings pitched to be graded. Otherwise, you got an incomplete but you're not wrong about the Fs that would have gone to both of those guys. I'll just kind of go through it quickly that I'm looking at the numbers. Any of these guys encouraging uh, to you moving forward? Yovera, Jakes, Ort, Walter, Garza, Robertson, Kelly, Weiss. I think we'll end it there. Any of those guys impress you? In, I mean, maybe, maybe Yovera and Kelly could be helpful in middle relief roles. Uh, the, the rest strike me as 4A guys, guys like Jake Sport, uh, Walter, um, who knows 
about Robertson. We didn't really see too much of him. Weiss was a quick hello and goodbye. Sheriff has retired. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys are already out of the organization. I, I would say Yovera. Matt Dermody? Uh, Matt Dermody, no. Um, I would say Yovera and Kelly could still contribute and be those kind of guys that uh, Alex Cora talked about, optionable guys that go up and down and contribute when they're needed. Yeah. We'll talk about um, now Chris Murphy, who was really good at the beginning of the year, faded down the stretch, 491 ERA, which uh, that got big quickly because he was like under two for like a while. Um, Sean, you had him as a C minus. I had him as a C just because he he really hit the wall. Um but just kind of a blah type showing in his first taste of me. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a lot to like early, but then you started to wonder whether that was just capitalizing on hitters who hadn't seen him. Uh, seems like things caught up with him. Maybe he tired out from the workload. He did uh, pitch well initially, and maybe there's something that can be useful going forward, but I gave him a C minus. And the Red Sox, an organization that have really struggled to develop homegrown starting pitching. Bayo and Crawford, I think, are, you know, looking like success stories. But you look at, you know, beyond Houck and Whitlock, Winkowski moved to a reliever. I know he was a guy who was in a trade. And then the guys that debuted this year, Murphy, reliever, Walter, reliever who might not even be in the majors. Connor Siebold was traded. Brian Mata didn't pitch. So that continues to be an issue where, you know, these guys can't get over the hump. And now the, the cupboard bear at AAA again. About five more relievers to get to. We'll go with a guy that neither of us had heard of when he joined the organization. Brennan Bernardino. Yeah, um, one of the sort of dumpster finds that Heim Bloom had, a waiver claim uh, that turned out to be a very valuable guy. At times, he was the only lefty they had. He did everything they asked. He pitched in in high leverage. He pitched in bulk. He opened some games, so I gave him an A-. minus. Yeah, an A here. I mean, 320 ERA, but death on lefties. I mean, this is a guy who they picked up in late April and still made 55 appearances. He was really, really good and looks like a piece moving forward. But, you know, talk about Joelli and Blyer being disappointing. Bernardino was a big piece of that left-handed picture. Four righties at the back end of the bullpen who kind of had the highest leverage role will go in kind of order of how they pitched. John Schreiber is where we start. Sean, you had a B. I gave him a C, just horrendous in the second half or when he came back from injury. And therefore, uh, I think, you know, we expected this guy to be worse than he was last year after he was kind of shot out of a cannon. But to me, the second half was pretty concerning. Yeah, it was. And and frankly, I was a little surprised that the first half was as good as it was because he, if you recall, he did not look good in spring training. And we know how there are journeyman relievers who bounce around who are very good, close to unhittable one year and very very mortal the next. And I thought watching him in Fort Myers, uh uh-oh, this is one of those guys. He actually pitched, he went against tight. He had a very good first half reversing the way he pitched in the spring. But then after getting hurt and coming back, as you said, the second half was bad. Uh, I was probably a little generous there. I gave him a B, should have been probably B minus or C plus, but I went with a B. Yeah, C here and first half, second half splits, 212 ERA in 18 games in the first half, a 485 in 30 innings down the stretch. Whip about 1.5, five homers. He had 17 walks. I mean, that's just uh, not a good second half. I think he's still projected to be on the staff next year, but, you know, not as your eighth inning guy, not as your 
seventh inning guy, and that's because of the guys we will talk about now. Josh Winkowski, you gave an A. I gave an A minus. He falls under the category of, I mean, what do you expect? You know, this guy to come out and have this type of year. I think he led the Red Sox in appearances, right? 60. I mean, I know the whip is is high and the FIP suggests the ERA should be a little higher, but he gave him 84 and a third innings of 288 ERA. You know, I, I said A minus. It could be an A. Just that's as good as you could have asked him to be. Yeah, what, I, I think you could safely label him one of the most pleasant surprises on the entire team, never mind the bullpen or pitching staff, a guy that looked like a failed starter. He was so good in relief that now there's actually talk about maybe looking at him back in the rotation next year, which I didn't see coming. Uh, you know, if he had been a guy they had released uh, or sent to triple a early uh you know out of spring training i don't think anyone would have batted an eye mm-hmm. instead he kind of saved him in the first half with his great uh work out of the bullpen so a terrific year and an a from me in the eighth inning was chris martin who had one of the greatest seasons you'll ever see by any player doing his job i know it gets minimized because he's a reliever and not uh either a starting pitcher or an everyday regular but the numbers as everybody knows by now are insane 55 games a 105 era Two homers, five unintentional walks uh, stands out as the craziest number of all. And I think anything other than an A-plus here would be malpracticed by both of us. Yeah, I gave him an A-plus. To me, you know, the two numbers, you mentioned the five unintentional walks all season and one run allowed after June 6th. That's ridiculous. Yep. Um, you know, they, they have to feel good about the back end of the bullpen. We're going to talk about the other half of that equation in a minute. But Martin absolutely solidified the eighth and became a huge lockdown guy for them. And Jansen will end the pitching staff there. We both had A minus. I think the ERA was his highest of his career at 363, but he still gave them, you know, 51 games. Uh, I think, you know, 29 of 32 in saves. You know, there was a couple, you know, the two games against the Cardinals and that home run on the first pitch in San Francisco that he laughed off. But just such a good clubhouse presence, such a good veteran presence for the pitching staff. You know, inflated ERA, be what it is. Sometimes, you know, if you're given a three-run lead, you're going to pitch to the to the zone. He's a guy that, you know, did not look um, like he's over the hill at all and, and was that pretty much, you know, officially or very early dominant for the Red Sox. I know he didn't pitch much toward the end of the year because of COVID and getting shut down and all that stuff. But an A-minus for Kenley Jansen. Yeah, the only concern going forward is not so much his durability from a, you know, an arm or shoulder or elbow, but, you know, he's had some back issues. Uh, there seem to be some nagging things that come along. But if you get, uh, you know, if you get 55 or 60 appearances out of Jansen, you're going to be pretty happy at the end of the year. And so, yes, an A minus for me. Bold spring training prediction here. We see Kenley Jansen come in as a best shape of his life candidate. He's already said he wants to, you know, really work out hard and get in a little bit better shape because there were things um, when you are a huge guy like that that come into play, 35, 36, the back, the knee, those types of things. We saw it hamstring time and time again, you know, nothing that really cost him, you know, a ton of time, but alas, uh, things that he's going to want to figure out moving forward. We'll move on to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there are some guys we'll just go through quickly here. Um we will start with uh, let's go around the infield and just kind of knock out some of these guys we did not see much of, but still saw some of throughout the season. 
Uh, we will start with two guys who uh, no longer or did not three guys who didn't finish the year with the Red Sox. All were uh, either traded or DFA'd. Kike Hernandez, you gave an F. I didn't think that was harsh enough, so I went with an F minus for Kike Hernandez just because it was a terrible, terrible showing on both sides of the ball. And I still say that is one of the reasons the Red Sox were as bad as they were, just that whole disaster dumpster fire for the first few months of the year. Yeah, he, he was a huge letdown at short. Uh, he dismissed everybody questioning his ability to play there on a regular basis in spring training and then proceeded to go out and prove all those doubters absolutely correct to have their doubts. He was a train wreck at short. He had more errors by the middle of May than uh, a good shortstop would have in about four months. Um, He played some decent center field on the occasions they put him out there, but he did very little offensively, just uh, a bust all the way around. So uh, a, a big fat F for Kike Hernandez. Another infielder who started the year, an opening day lineup at second base. Uh, he just left the organization last week. A guy that I always say was one of my favorite to cover, just a really nice guy and a good quote and all that. But ran out of chances with the Red Sox and now will look to resurrect his career elsewhere. Injuries were always the problem. This year became performance for Christian Arroyo, who we both gave an F. At a certain point, you run out of chances, and that's what happened here. Yeah, I think you know we were both shocked at the amount of the amount he struggled. It looked like this was the year that if he could stay healthy, he could claim the second base job and and do it for a while, at least until maybe Nick York is ready in the second half of next year or 2025. Uh, but he squandered that opportunity, not really because of injury, but because of performance, which just wasn't there. Uh, the defense was still pretty good at second, um, but he did nothing offensively and, uh, you know, w- was not a contributor to the point where, he became uh, a guy they DFA'd who sailed through waivers unclaimed and then became the forgotten guy at Worcester uh, just to kind of untimely end at a time when it looked like he might have an opportunity to be part of the future here. And only 28 former first round pick has major league success. I'm sure he'll get chances elsewhere, but not here. A guy that I think you were too low on here, Pablo Reyes. You gave him a C. I gave him a B. Another guy I'd never heard of, and he gave the Red Sox 185 competitive plate appearances, had some clutch hits. I know the OPS was only 716. That's a lot. That's better than a lot of other guys who were in that role throughout the year. Like, talk about expectations. If I haven't heard of you and you are a solid major leaguer for the Red Sox by the end of the year, you get a B in my book. Yeah, I mean, he, he did contribute. He was a nice surprise at times, but ultimately I find it hard to reward someone who's got a sub-average OPS, and he does at 716. Had some memorable contributions, a big hit here or there. Played well at both positions, uh, second and and uh, and short, and probably has bought himself a future utility role here. But in the end, I gave him a C. Yu Chang, gone but not forgotten. A guy who was became way more important than he should have been at times on this roster. Great defense. Couldn't hit at all. And when he made contact, it went very far, very loudly. I gave him a C just because, again, an expectations exceeder. Maybe I'm too soft. You were a little lower on the overall Yu Chang experience this year. Yeah, I gave him a D. I, I just thought that someone who hit well below 200 struck out as much as he did. Yeah, occasionally he could give it a ride and had a handful of homers and could be a brilliant shortstop at times, but uh, 
you know, I think his OPS was in the high fives by the end of the year. So I had to give him a D. And we'll end this kind of, or actually a couple more, uh, a couple more rapid fire infielders. The guy we saw down the stretch, Heim Bloom's big trade deadline acquisition, Luis Urias, uh, had a couple of grand slams, had two grand slams and back-to-back at bats and still a 698 OPS uh, after that, which is kind of hard to do. Both had him with a D. He got a lot of chances to play, 109 plate appearances. I'll use this as a segue to a conversation we'll have in a couple of weeks, but his projected arbitration number is 4.7 million. I see no way in which they pay that. Yeah, he's got to be a non-tender, which doesn't mean they walk away from him. They may, uh, you know, try to work something out so that he takes a smaller number on a deal before you get to the arbitration filing period. In no way is this guy worth close to $5 million. Um, Alex Gore spoke glowingly about his defense. Frankly, I didn't see it. He didn't show me a lot of range. He was a little better the more he played and realizing it was kind of a lost year for him that began on opening day in an injury and a in the minors in Milwaukee. Maybe he's a reclamation project. As I said, I haven't seen it here yet. Uh, Emmanuel Valdez, the last kind of rapid fire infielder. The guy looks like he can hit, he can control the zone. Uh, there were times where I thought I've never seen somebody um, look more lost in the field on, in the majors than he did early on. There was a few plays in April and May when he came up that were like shocking, um, but seemed to get better and more comfortable as he came up later. Uh, his offseason was based on working with Carlos Fables in the Dominican, so I doubt that's still going to happen, but that was the promise as of a week ago. You know, he's going to be in the mix along with probably Reyes, potentially Urias, David Hamilton for second base reps next year in this kind of bridge to whatever they set up Meyer and Story in the future. Valdez, uh, 266 with a 764 OPS, six homers, 19 RBIs, controlled the strike zone. You have a C minus. I have a C. Kind of, you know, like, eh, good. Good offensively, good enough for a guy that's not a highly touted prospect and bad. Yeah, and, and credit to him, as you alluded, that he he worked at his defense and looked much better in the final month or six weeks than he did earlier in the season. Maybe he can be salvaged and be at least league average at second. And the bat is, you know, got some pop to it. At the very least, he looks like he could perhaps be a platoon solution to second base in the short term. That'll wrap up, I guess, the rapid-fire infielders. Now let's go with uh, really the big names there. Rafael Devers, Sean, this is a rare case of you being higher on a guy's season than me. You put Rafael Devers in the A range for his year. Yeah, I gave him an A-. minus. I think you have to look at the fact that he led the team in homers, led the team in RBI, second in slugging. Um, his defense took a big step backward and maybe I should have been a little tougher there, but offensively, I think this was about him learning to be the guy in the lineup. Uh, the guy that the opposing teams game planned for, for the first time, it wasn't about Bogarts. It wasn't JD Martinez. It wasn't some other bats. He became the focus point and I gave him a little grace period there as he adjusted to that, but the defense has to be better than it was. 656 plate appearances, 153 games. That's what you ask for out of a guy you give that much money, you know, and 33 homers, 100 RBIs. We've talked about it. I view that a little bit of as a compiler year where it never felt like he was ever really hot. There's two ways to look at that. Like, you know, these numbers look better than they actually were. If you watched it every day and he did look lost at times on the other end, 
if this is the floor, the Red Sox are in a good place moving forward. Still that. Yeah. And the defense, to me, made me think that it's a B-plus season for Rafael Devers. We'll go to uh, the across the diamond now to a guy who will get rookie of the year consideration and definitely won't win it. But Tristan Casas, slow start, excellent middle of the season, and then gets shut down. Sean, you went with a B-plus for Casas, which I think is a little ridiculous. But you can defend yourself before I go into it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that you're giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, you know, there's a lot to like here. You know, when when we talk sometimes about a good first half and a bad second half or vice versa, you wonder what's the real uh, picture here? Uh, what, what can we take from this? Is this a guy that just can't sustain it over the year? I think we both realize that's not the case here. He was a guy who learned on the fly he uh, didn't lose confidence in himself if there's one thing Tristan Casas has in spades it's confidence in himself I don't say that in a disparaging way he he uh, he feels good about his ability and knows he doesn't get down on himself when he's when he slumps so I think there's uh, there the, you know the arrow points up here and you know they have their first baseman uh, I, I was disappointed in his defense he can talk about his immaculate footwork all he wants, but he was a a significant disappointment with the glove. I gave him an A. I just think you look at this, he had a higher OPS endeavors. I know it's, you know, 150 fewer plate appearances, but still just that on its own. He was he carried the offense for a long time at a time when they needed it. You know, 263, 24 and 65. The control of the strike zone was um, you know. You know, 70 walks, the, the OBP of 367. Like he was the complete package there offensively for a while. I think the defense did get better down the stretch. Um, you know, for him to turn around and be that hot and be really look like a guy who's going to be in the middle of the lineup for a while, uh, give him an A. I think it was that good. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't give an A to a guy who was well under 200 in the middle of June, uh, recognizing that he pulled himself out of that, that he got better, that he hung in there. Good for him. I gave him a B plus, Chris, not an F, as you right. seem to be reading this. Um, but I thought the combination of the slow start and the disappointing defense did not merit an A. So you are wrong. Well, a guy we both agreed on on an A, and we'll put, throw him into the infield because he did play there when he wasn't the DH. Justin Turner, you know, I know he's slowed down there in September. The heels seemed to catch up to him, but 146 games, 626 plate appearances. 800 OPS posted every day, clutch hit after clutch hit, the ultimate leader, everything, you know, as good of a one-year signing, I think, as they could have had. A, easy. You know, if you want to give an A- minus for September when they were out of it anyway, be my guest. You didn't, I didn't. It's an A. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he was their MVP. I think he was certainly their most clutch hitter. He was certainly the leader in the clubhouse, which is not an easy thing to do when you come over to a team new, uh, you haven't even been in the American League in more than a decade, and yet he exerted himself in the right way. He didn't presume that he was going to be the guy, but he earned that leadership role. Uh, other than poor defense at first base, which he wasn't expected to provide much there to begin with, it's hard to find a flaw in his 2023 season. Wrapping up the infield, I think with even in a limited sample size, one of the more disappointing members of the Red Sox, Trevor story and neither of us will argue that the defense was excellent because it was and you could see it and it was impressive there weren't a lot of plays he didn't make and I think that the arm strength looks better there's a lot of encouraging signs moving on to next year after what we saw in the first half from shortstop especially from Kike Hernandez story was great there we get it 
I will say this fact that I have said before on this show and um, now actually pulled ahead a little bit. I was going to say he had a uh, an OPS lower than what Yu Chang had, but they were basically comparable. Yu Chang hit 162 with a 552 OPS and Trevor Story in 168 plate appearances. This is not a small sample size, okay? 43 games, 168 plate appearances, 203, which is three homers and a 566 OPS. I mean, that's horrendous. And there's just and and there's, you know, swing and miss. He never looked comfortable. I don't think he's going to be at that level next year, but that to me, you know, the defense is great, but a guy that you're paying that much money we both had him as a D plus. I mean, just the numbers offensively were terrible. There's no way no, you can't it. can't overlook the offensive performance. He was everything you say defensively. Uh, you know, the, you mentioned forty something games, and the fact that he is in the top two or three in defensive runs saved among American League shortstops speaks to how good an infielder he can be when he's healthy. Uh, he is healthy. I think they have a. I, I, I'm bullish on this guy going forward. I Me think. Too. It's, not to be a good signing, even though the first two years have been compromised by injury and underperformance. But there's no getting away from a 566 OPS or the fact that he needed a good last week to get over the 200 mark. I'm uh, If you're a Red Sox fan, you have to hope this was all about not having spring training and trying to, you know, trying to hit the ground running in the first week of August, having had very little offensive reps and it just took a while to get comfortable. Uh, but he had better produce more than this next year. Kike Hernandez for as bad he, as he was offensively. And obviously in more games, a 599 OPS, right? Like better than story was. I just think, you know, the numbers are eye poppingly bad. And again, I agree with you moving forward in good shape, but uh, not, not encouraging there uh, from an offensive perspective. We'll move to catcher quickly. I think two kind of average seasons, Reese McGuire. Um, I think I expected him to play more heading out of spring training than he ended up playing. 72 games, 206 plate appearances. He's just like your your perfect kind of backup catcher. Pitchers can throw to him, 668 OPS, no pop, but can get on base. Like, I don't know. It's not, not a world beater by any means, but a, a guy who is fine. His season was fine. I know he was hurt for a little bit. I have a C, you have a C minus. Is there really not much to debate on this one, I don't think? Yeah, the, the weird thing about McGuire's season is how he went from 42% caught stealing uh, last year to 17%. Yeah. I know sometimes those numbers can be misleading. Pitchers not holding guys. The, well, new the, big, the bigger bases, of course. Bigger bases. Uh, you know, the limits on throwing over, I'm sure that had a role, but that's a huge decline. And you wonder if that isn't a bit of a red flag going forward. The guy who really emerged as the Red Sox starting catcher and played a lot. I mean, 403 plate appearances is way over what I would have projected 126 games. I don't have the starts in front of me at catcher, but, you know, he was he had the lion's share and was great behind the plate. You know, really took a step forward um, for a guy that we didn't know what we were going to get out of uh this year is connor wong uh he's right kind of in the story boat defense was great the offense there is some pop there you know nine homers but the swing and miss the non-competitive at bats like he had a 673 ops so i gave him a c you gave him a c but i just think that that's even from a starting catcher um you'd need some more and I think that that, despite, you know, a couple, he had like a three day stretch where he was like 
had like nine hits and four homers too in May. So without yeah, that, if you, all year. if you saw it every day, it was like, this is just not a good hitter. And I think for that reason, yeah, I, give us, I, I think there's reason to expect, you know, more offensively. He had 25 doubles, which is a lot for 400 yeah. play appearances. Uh, it seems like there's more to tap into offensively, defensively. That became his calling card. I think we expect Kyle Teal is going to be the guy starting in 25. If they have to go through Connor Wong and Reese McGuire for another year, they could do worse. Yep, I agree with that. And that's, you know, C, C, C minus and C for those two guys. Move on to the outfield. Two guys that you gave incompletes that I do want to touch on. Uh, he did not hit your, I'm sure, assuming you did 100 plate appearances as your minimum. Uh, I forget what my. You, uh, I think, probably. Well, there it is. 100 plate appearances. William Abreu had 85. I mean, that's an A, though, right? Yep. <laughs> like, he was excellent. Yep. Um, and Rafaela was good defensively. Be a B, B plus, a maybe. Plus. So we're not really going to get into those guys because they didn't hit, hit Sean's uh, minimums. But we will get into the guys, the, the five outfielders, who did play more than that. The Red Sox in the first half had insane outfield production that fell off in the second half significantly because all of these guys fell off in the second half, except really Adam Duvall. Um, Rob Ruffsnyder will start there. He got an extension, and then I don't know if he got a hit again. Very nice guy, but this is just uh, – he was really, really, really bad down the stretch, and he's a guy that yep. I've identified, even though his extension has not come into play yet or come into effect yet. I could see them DFAing him over the winter. 682 OPS finishes the year. One homer. I mean, I forget how many he had last year. It wasn't one. It was more than that. And, uh, you know, he's a good kind of fourth outfielder glue guy to have around, but was really, really bad down the stretch. So I think a D is fair from both of us there. Yeah, I, I'd say it's more accurate to describe him as a fifth outfielder rather than a fourth because, yeah. um, you know, even in the past, he had great splits against lefties. Even those went down. Uh, it, it was easy, particularly when they were going to guys like Abreu uh, and some of the younger guys uh, trying to get a look at um, Rafaela in September. It was easy to forget that Ref Snyder was on the roster. He became a non-factor, and that's not a good thing for your future. Yep. Again, under contract for a million eight five this year. The Red Sox in there. Big payroll, I think, could walk away from that if they wanted, but you know, he's still a guy that they like and is okay defensively, can crush lefties. So I would guess he makes the team unless some things get shuffled around. The future of Adam Duvall might be what determines Rob Ref Snyder. Uh, Sean and I have said before, and we'll say again. These grades might be inflated because Adam Duvall might be the nicest person we've ever met in our lives. But uh, regardless, he actually was really good when he was on the field. Uh, just the hot streaks uh, brought him to a point where he had, you know, in the 353 plate appearances, hit 247, which is higher than he's been for his career. 21 homers, 24 doubles, uh, 58 RBIs, and an 834 OPS. He, he mashed when he was healthy. Um, you know, I think the center field Let thing. Let the team slugging Yep, didn't and uh, you know only ninety two games when you break your wrist that's going to happen. The injury is the only thing that hurts him there. We both gave him B's, but a really even in ninety two games worth the seven million they gave him. No question. Uh, and you know if there's a way to bring him back, uh, they should at least explore it. That will depend on what they do with some other outfield spots. But he was on pace to hit thirty five homers and a hundred RBI. Uh, if you you know if you work the numbers out from a ratio of playing about two thirds of the year, less than two thirds of the year, uh, you know, 108 games would have been two thirds. He was 92. 
he would have uh, cracked the 100 RBI mark again. Uh, defensively, not great anymore. Certainly not capable of playing center field on an everyday basis, I don't think. But passable, certainly, in the corners. Yep. And uh, his future, you know, as we talked about last week, doesn't feel like there's a fit, but who knows? Now, the three left-handed hitting outfielders, um, kind of some of the more interesting seasons that the Red Sox had. So we'll dig into these a little bit deeper. Jaron Duran, Sean, for a long time, was one of the best players in baseball. We've talked about on this. You know, I think we named him as the most improved Red Sox player. The numbers, 102 games, obviously missed the last few weeks with a toe injury, 362 plate appearances. Again, the over on what you would have expected from in every category. 34 doubles for Jaron Duran is, is a massive number. You know, the eight homers, 40 RBIs, uh, 346 OBP and 828 OPS. This is a guy that talk about overperforming, talk about exceeding expectations. I gave him an A minus just because he was electric. I know he had his slumps. I know there was times he fell off, but he really, really took a massive step forward. Um, without the injury, it looked like he was, that was going to keep going. And, and so for him, an A minus, I was tempted to give him an A. I mean, that's how good he was for so long. And um, again, that's me just on the kind of a guy that votes for manager of the year based on who exceeds expectations. That's how I grade these. But for me, an A or A, a minus probably for Duran. Yeah, I had him in a B, and I'm already probably thinking that was a little too tough. He probably deserved the B plus. You mentioned the 33 or 34 doubles. The thing to observe there is that a lot of those were hustle doubles where a ball got hit in the gap. He was sprinting out of the box and thinking about two as soon as he made contact and he used that speed to be able to take advantage. Uh, He had 20-something steals, only caught a handful of times. Uh, I still think the defense is only league average at best, and that's an issue, I think, going forward. Can they trust him to play center field full-time? We don't know about their internal evaluations, what their plans are going forward. Um, that That's still a question mark, but I gave him a B. Probably should have been a B plus. Masataka Yoshida was very, very good late April, May, after the All-Star break, hit a wall. A lot of rollovers, rollovers to second. Get that word off my tongue. Uh, more strikeouts than I think we expected from from him because the, the book on this guy was that he was going to never strike out. He only struck out 81 times, but, you know, in Japan, he had, I think he walked more than he struck out. He walked 34 times, which was really not as much as you would have guessed. The OBP, 338. I mean, not horrible, but not great. And a 783 OPS, but you watched it. It got tough to watch there at the end. You know, chalked it up to the adjustment period. There's a lot of aspects of this that we've discussed and will in the future. Um, defensively was horrible as we expected. Um, and so we both gave him a B, I think just because there's a curve there for based on, you know, him coming into the league and all the adjustments. Uh, I think there's a case to be made that we could have gone a little bit lower, but you know, the offense was there. He's one dimensional, but good at what he does, um, when he's fully healthy and, and all that type of stuff. So I think a B is fair. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, I give him credit for making the adjustments he did, not just on the field, but off, obviously, cultural language, all kinds of things to do with travel, size of the baseball schedule. Everything's different. The weird thing was he was better in the first half where you would expect that for a guy making that jump that he might struggle out of the gate, uh, you know, not not adjusted to everything, but get better. He got worse. And the thing, the red flag here is the stamina issue where he needed mm-hmm. a lot of time off. Uh, they acknowledge that that's an issue at the end of the year. They want to see him train a little differently, get ready differently. We heard a lot of, well, no one's traveled like, 
look, Hideki Matsui came over as a uh, as about the same age and played, I think, uh, you know, 162 games several times early in his career with the Yankees. Right. If he can do it, then others can do it. Yeah, it's a jump. Yeah, it's an adjustment. But I was disappointed by the fact that physically he wore down. This is not a big guy, so it's not about, you know, well, it it, it became hard for him that way. Uh, I, I just thought he should have held up physically better than he did. And the thing that I think was struck with, and that that is kind of part of the point, is that he's not that athletic. You know, he can hit and he can make contact, but he can't run and he can't field. And that is an issue, you know, where in a game where athletes are starting to take over, this is not a very athletic guy. And so there will be changes made. There will be help in the adjustment process this year. I think B is fair, you know, not a bad signing by any means, not dynamite as he looked to be for, you know, the first half of the year. Um, and, you know, still was good offensively, but, uh, a part, you know, not an $18 million a year type of performance in year one. We'll see if that changes moving forward. We'll, we'll close this out on at least a player part of it before we move on to Cora and Bloom with Alex Verdugo, one of the more interesting seasons, interesting characters. Uh, no demerits for lateness here. We don't care as much as Alex Cora does about that. So we talk about on the field performance. Awesome in the first half. Absolutely horrendous. Look, checked out, checked out in July, a little bit better in August, slumping again in September. It's this kind of inconsistency, volatility. The effort comes and goes. I think it's a guy who, you know, we've talked about a billion times as a trade candidate. Many around the team kind of think he's overstayed his welcome. Um, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a lot this offseason. And kind of Paxton-esque here, right, with the, the grade of, you know, the high highs and the low lows. I gave him a C. You gave him a C plus Alex Verdugo, uh, a guy that, you know, we kind of saw the entire experience over the course of, in his case, 142 games this year. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that his OPS plus was 102, which means he was 2% better than a league average guy. Mm-hmm. So how do you get excited about that? Well, you give him a little credit for making the work and the dedication and the commitment to becoming better defensively. I think he absolutely deserves to be, be one of the three finalists for a right field goal glove. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. He did get better. He put the work in and proved himself to be able to play a very good right field at Fenway, which is not easy. But then there's the whole other aspect of the Alex Verdugo experience, capital E, where you never know what you're going to get. You never know when he's going to check out mentally for a while. You never know when he's going to show up at the ballpark late. You never know when he might loaf going first to second um, or make a bonehead play somewhere. So it's hard to fall in love with this guy. Uh, I think both of us have expect that there's every possibility he could be dealt. And if he comes back, it's hard to see them uh, trying to make anything, you know, trying to extend him past 2024. I think his Red Sox shelf life is short. He may have even played his last game already for them. Yep. Agreed. And the next guy we talk about might be a big reason for that. And Alex Cora, the manager, won't spend too much time on these guys because we've talked about their performance ad nauseum on the show in our writing and all that type of stuff. Alex Cora, uh, some would say, you know, he got a lot out of a bad roster for most of the year. So maybe some credit there. Um, You know, some of the in-game moves and, you know, are good. Again, when you have kind of the bullpen structure you finally had this year, Tough to like, you know, mix and match that much. Give, you know, Martin the ball in the eighth, Jansen the ball in the ninth. And I, you could do that. I could do that. Um, no offense. 
I gave him a C. You gave him a C minus. Just, I mean, at some point when the defense is that bad, when the team is as bad as they are in September, and you finish six games under 500, that's on the manager. The Red Sox don't see it that way really at all. But um, I think an average to below, slightly below average year for Alex Cora. Yeah, I gave him a C minus. Um, I took some points off for uh, the sloppy play that the Red Sox exhibited for chunks of the season. And I'm not talking about the errors. Those are physical errors. I'm talking about forgetting how many outs there are. I'm talking about throwing to the wrong base. I'm talking about overthrowing the cutoff man, just fundamental breakdowns that happen far too often. And Alex Cora said more than once, that's on me. Okay, Skip, it's on you. C minus. And today, I think a big move that he's serious about getting better. Firing, you know, being part of the group that fired one of his best friends and Carlos Fabulous. It's business. It is what it is. But kind of money where his mouth is on that move to me. Um, we'll go with Heim Bloom now. Uh, he might get an incomplete. I don't know if you heard this, but he didn't finish the year with the Red Sox, uh, actually. Boy. You gave him a C minus. Uh, explain that grade, and then I'll explain how I'm going to grade him. Uh, I thought he had a good winter and certainly better than a lot of people gave him credit for when you think of Turner, Jansen, Martin, Yoshida were all good pickups to to varying degrees. Um, I, I think uh, some good in-season moves with Reyes and Bernardino that we've talked about, but didn't do nearly enough to provide some depth at shortstop, which became a killer for the team in the first half, wasn't aggressive enough at the deadline. Um, then again, as I wrote, uh, he had every indication from ownership that they weren't expecting to be involved in some blockbusters at the uh, at the trade deadline. So hard to penalize him too much. Then again, two consecutive last place finishes on rosters he built. So I went and C minus. Uh, it's uh, ultimately it's a year that ended in his firing. So give him a C minus there. In terms of building his legacy, a B. Because despite being fired, a lot of pieces came together. That's why I thought he'd ultimately get another year. You look around the diamond from Bayo and Crawford and Winkowski. A lot of the guys that we gave A's and B's to on this list were either Heimblum guys that he brought in or guys that he believed in and kept, Duran, uh, whatever it might be. Obviously, you know, Story and some of these other guys are, are big pieces of his legacy, Kluber as well. Um, but the core is coming together. That's what they asked him to do. So in that regard, a B. Um, ultimately, the Red Sox graded Heim themselves, obviously, with the firing. As a long Fenway rundown, we'll be back Thursday with more. Uh, school's out for now. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.